This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to episode number 124 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. It is late on this Sunday evening, getting ready for a Monday show release. Myself, Noah Grant, along with Nick Maxson. Uh, apologies for the late release for all of us uh, who were following along with that. I told you it would be a normal week, and then Noah Grant got sick. So uh, we're slowly <laughs> chugging along Still and chugging sick in the head, but that's fine. Yeah, well, we all knew that. Um, speaking of things that are kind of sick in the head, we're going to be talking about <laughs> Another edition, of course, of the NCHC previews, and the sick part about it is there's two Noahs on the upcoming team that we're going to be talking about today, and they're both incoming freshmen. Talk about confusing. There's too many Noahs in the world already. We don't need any more. We already know that. Um, we can but, decipher because those are actually good at hockey. Ah, that's fair. Uh, beyond, <laughs> beyond that, speaking of things that are good at hockey, we are going to talk about the World Junior Championships as well in our extra ice session and a little bit about uh, kind of recapping and wrapping up the Michigan Wolverine situation. We haven't gotten a chance to actually sit down and talk about it in depth. So we're going to do that and a very abbreviated Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, we should say, and the Center Ice View News Notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup Noah, and of course, some news and some signings, of course, as we continue to track um, off-season acquisition signings, all the good jazz around the National Hockey League. Um, this is probably the bigger one, and it comes out of Arizona. And no, they didn't say you can't build the stadium. They're actually keeping a guy for longer than three years. This is Lawson Krause, a five-year deal, $4.3 million is the average annual value. So they're going to make it to the cap floor, which is good. Um, but uh, good for Lawson Krause. Uh, a lot of upside still in his game. Um, I like it. It's, he's a complete hockey player. Uh, this is a good pickup for Arizona um, to extend him. Move just north or re-upping Mason Appleton. Um, they just avoided arbitration on their three-year deal worth $6.5 million apiece. How about this one, though? Out east to our friends with the Carolina Hurricanes, the Kaniacs, uh, wondering the future of Marty Natchez. And uh, yes, how about this? A bridge deal for him, two years at $6 million apiece. Um, or excuse me, $6 million total, I believe. I'm sorry about that. Uh, Bruins also signed a trio of forwards, uh, one-year deals. And well, Noah, we talked about this, right? We talked about 
uh, the Bruce Cassidy, um, the wild card. And now that he was gone, there was rumors that some of the players would not return. Well, sticking to the word, how about this? They're inking Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci coming back after he spent a year overseas. And then also uh, signing newly acquired center Pavel Zaka. Of course, he was involved in the Eric Holla trade. Two and a half, one million dollars and three and a half million dollars respectively for those three. And then finally, the Detroit Red Wings, um, also inking defenseman Jake Wallman uh, before they also hit the arbitration table. One-year deal, just over a million dollars annually. So some signing news there. Um, I I don't know if there really is any one of these, Noah, that uh, sticks out. But it, for me, um, Jake LeCision also um, uh, for Vegas. I don't think I mentioned Jake LeCision. Uh, this was a, a more recent signing. Uh, but they still have Nicholas Hag, I believe, uh, left to be signed, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. And then, uh, again, this all coming with what was going to be some cap relief after, after Robin Leonard um, having surgery. That's going to keep him out all of next next season. Yeah, I mean, f- to be honest, I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> the the first guy that you were talking about, I have no idea. Is that bad? Usually, I, usually I know hockey names, and I don't. I Jake Lucision, and he was an RFAD man. Um, yeah, was one of the two big restricted free agents that they had left to sign for Vegas. Um, there really wasn't enough cap space for both of them, and uh, with. Robin Leonard going down to injury. This creates some cap space. And again, they have the Shea Weber contract that will obviously be put on LTIR. So between Shea Weber's 7.6 and Robin Leonard's five, that's about $12.6 million that they're able to spend over the cap. Um, again, with yeah. uh, some of the injured reserve contracts they'll be able to have. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, either that or I know who you're talking about and it just sounds funny to me. I have no idea. Um, I don't really pay attention to Vegas much, to be honest with you. I try not to. Um, <laughs> not to be confused with Curtis LeCision. Uh, many Wild fans may know him, so yeah. uh, don't confuse him with that. But let me let me catch your break here, Noah. This is a name I know you know. Um, how about this? The Rangers needed a captain, and they named him. And it is Jacob Truba. Um, just named this last week, 28th captain in Ranger history. Uh, quick reaction on that, Noah. Uh, to me, I know some people thought it was surprising, uh, just because uh, Jacob Truba has, at least this last season, kind of made some news, but maybe in the hockey circles, not the best way to make some news. So your, your thoughts on uh, Jacob Truba becoming the next Rangers captain? Yeah, it could be worse. Could be Tony D'Angelo. Um, I'm not really sure. Um, I don't know. Maybe he's a good locker room guy that they, you know, haven't really been outright about. Um, he's been kind of a guy that, I mean, he's been steady for the Rangers, but just hasn't really been someone who um, stands out to me as like the primo guy that you would name to the captaincy. Um, but then again, when you have guys like Artemi Panarin and things like that, you know, maybe they're not the best English speaking uh, players and maybe you're looking for someone who is a true vocal voice in there. I was thinking maybe someone, you know, maybe like Mika Zibanejad, somebody like that, that might have had the reins. But nonetheless, uh, Jacob Trouba is going to be the guy. So let's cap off my part of the Sunrise View uh, news and notes here. Uh, this is a big one uh, to a degree here, Noah, and that is the claims that were filed against Oilers owner Daryl Katz uh, have been withdrawn. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that um, they were just getting, I suppose, on you know, kind of surface. Yeah. And then Hockey Canada also then naming Andrea Skinner interim chair of its board of directors. She's been on that board since November, 2020. Um, so uh, a couple of little tidbits there. Um, so uh, I don't know, I guess I'm not sure there's much to say more about that. Yeah. Just kind of little uh, rumblings around. We're actually a pretty short Huskies illustrated with you roundup this week. Um, 
Uh, second to last topic, uh, Maple Leafs legend uh, Bjorn Salming has uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, at 71 years of age. Um, pretty iconic hockey player. Uh, spanning from 1973 to 1990, a very lengthy career for him, over 17 seasons, or 18 seasons, I should, yeah, 17, sorry. Um, and 16 of those were with the Maple Leafs, and the last one with the Detroit Red Wings. So 1996 Hall of Fame inductee, uh, number 21, was retired back in 2008, um, has most career goals and points by a defenseman, and most career assists by any player for the Maple Leafs franchise, um, fourth in club history and points, and was voted one like a top 100 player in the National Hockey League. Um, back in the 90s as well. So um, pretty good hockey player. Um, the IHF on the international stage shows him as one of only the six players on its centennial all-star team back in 2008. So a player that has definitely stood the test of time with the way that he has played in the National Hockey League. So wishing him the best as he goes through that. For those of you who don't know, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, there isn't a cure for it. Um, it's kind of a very debilitating illness. So um, we'll kind of have to keep our eye on that one. Do you have any comments on that one or... It's tough because uh, you talk about influential players to the game and especially um, with Salmin, right? He, he essentially Peter Forsberg, that was his idol um, growing up in Sweden. So um, was really sort of the catalyst name that kind of put Sweden on the map. And I mean, look where Sweden's now. In fact, uh, dare I say that that country in the U.S. are maybe in a bit of a battle as we as we record this here in the World Juniors. So yeah. um, pretty, pretty pro prominent hockey figure over there across uh, the Atlantic Ocean there. So, uh, you know, it's, just, it's unfortunate. Again, as you mentioned, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, a very, as you mentioned, debilitating disease. And uh, just uh, just wish him all the best as he moves forward. Yeah, certainly. Uh, speaking of wishing the best as they move forward, three pretty key injuries around the National Hockey League uh, to note for the upcoming season. Uh, Las Vegas netminder Robin Lehner, like you mentioned, expected to miss the entire season with hip surgery. Um, kind of been mistreated over there in Vegas with his body a little, a little bit. bit, unfortunately. So, um, And former Vegas Golden Knight, newly acquired Carolina Hurricane Max Pacioretty, is going to be out six months uh, with a torn Achilles. Uh might be part of the reason why the Canes maybe got him for free besides the salary dump. I don't know. Um, have to keep an eye on that one. And Sharks defenseman Nikolai Nizhkov uh, will miss the same amount of time with the same injury to his right foot as well. And welcome into the main portion of the show. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant. Episode number 124, a day late, uh, but not a dollar short, I don't think. Uh, you know, Looking forward to the NCHC teams here that we previewed, Nick and I have kind of talked a little bit about what we think the finishing order is going to be here. Uh, and of course, alludes to the number six team that we picked today. And we do actually have the teams relatively set in stone uh, for the most part through uh, numbers five through one as well. So we're excited to bring the rest of these uh NCHC previews. Of course, we had number eight, Miami, number seven, Omaha, and both of those uh, very great listener and viewer engagement. So excited to have all of the listeners and viewers with us for the number six, Colorado College Tigers, our next team on the docket that we'll be talking about. Uh, currently stationed at Ed Robeson Arena, which of course was completed uh, last year, uh, right at the start of the season, uh, 2021. Uh, capacity of 3,400 on the nose, a great venue and a perfect size college hockey rink, I think, there in Colorado Springs. Uh, of course, uh, the Tigers at the helm, head coach, uh, talking about the World Juniors, by the way. Uh, one of the assistant coaches has been for quite a number of years in the past few seasons, uh, Chris Mayotte. 
in his second season with the Tigers um, and Peter Menino in his second season as an assistant coach. Mark Stewart was the other one, of course, alumni and former NHL, or he actually joined the Edmonton Oilers staff just recently. So they are without a second assistant coach and they don't have a volunteer goaltender coach as well, too. So um, 37 games played overall, 24 conference, 10 non-conference and one exhibition game and then two conference playoff games to their credit. So I did include the exhibition game in their overall record um, because I thought it was relevant. Uh, they did finish seventh out of eighth in the NCHC at 18 points and did finish 46th in the pairwise. So uh, not exactly the greatest season for the Tigers. Um, they finished one point or one pairwise spot, I should say, behind Miami uh, in that particular seating. So, uh, Nick, let's start there before we start off with the overall record. Uh, Ed Robeson Arena, beautiful new building. The Huskies were essentially the first NCHC team to get a kick at the can to play in that building. Came away with a couple of wins, including an overtime victory. Uh, this Tigers team, uh, has had its share of struggles in the past decade. Used to be kind of a primo team in the old WCHA back in the early to mid 2000s. Uh, where do you see this Tigers program now as they wrap up their last season and head towards the new one? They're on their way up. Um, and a lot of it is yeah. from the guy at the helm, Chris Mayotte. Uh, he's a very respected hockey mind. Um, again, as you mentioned, uh, very involved in uh, Team USA and the development program former assistant uh, at Michigan. Um, so, you know, he's been around the block a little bit. He's got plenty of experience and I uh, had a chance to, to chat with him just a little bit uh, before last season, um, not only during the, um, the media day, but also uh, biggest one just pregame also before uh, they played the Huskies at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Uh, this guy just radiates hockey. Number one. Yeah. Also radiates that he cares about his players. Um, that's both on and off the ice. So uh, a little bit different uh, of, a, of an approach uh, than, say, uh, Mike Havlin maybe would have had. And um, you, you, when we get to some of the freshman class and coming, I think you're going to understand why I truly believe this Colorado college team is on the up and up. They're in very, very good hands under Chris Mayotte. Um, so this is going to be a team that may surprise some people. If you talk about last two weeks we've been doing these uh doing these previews miami uh we've also talked about uh, omaha with some maybe bigger freshman classes and talk about maybe what they could do if the things maybe go their way and sort of that ceiling right i do think colorado college i think out of the three that are towards the the, the bottom here and mind you the bottom of the nchs would be at the top anywhere else i want to make sure we're clear on that um yeah. they have i think the highest potential to surprise some people and uh what's the talent they have coming in and some of the the cornerstones they brought in last year um this tiger team is due for maybe surprise some people and uh, i think that would be great actually for the conference and for them they've like you said they've had a successful programs in the past um it'd be nice to see them uh, start to be a little bit you know better in the in the rankings and so this is i think going to be a good year for them yeah, certainly. I think so, too. They're kind of a little bit of a dark horse candidate, I think, if they find a little bit of production from their uh, freshman group, which is comprised of eight players that we'll talk about later on in the show. A 9-25 and three record on the season. They were 9-24 and plus that exhibition loss to Air Force to start the season. 6-17-1 uh, and one overall in conference play for a 271 winning percentage. 5-12-1 and one at home, 4-3 13 and two, excuse me, on the road. Um, and they were two, two and two 
That's three twos in case anyone was curious for their overtime record for the season. Uh, wins coming. Uh, they did actually sweep both series against Miami, so four total wins there. A couple of wins against Omaha, as well as single victories against Boston College, Arizona State, and Air Force. Uh, the team they lost the most to last year was North Dakota with six losses. They lost every single matchup against the Fighting Hawks, and they were also uh, swept by St. Cloud and Denver uh, and technically Western Michigan because it was only two matchups for them last year as well. So um, Omaha and Air Force were the other two teams that rounded out uh, two or more losses for the team. Uh, Duluth, Arizona, St. Lawrence Union in Northeastern, all single losses for them. And St. Lawrence Union and Duluth were all uh, ties respectively in the book, a shootout loss technically against Duluth in one of those ties. So this is a team that is a curious case here, Nick, and I'll tell you which stat, of course, uh, will bring us to that. They were minus essentially one goal on the nose per game overall and 1.7 goals per game in the conference. So they were a team that didn't score a whole lot. And at first, when you look at that statistic, you think, oh boy, that's difficult. Their overall scoring by period, they had the least goals in the NCHC last season, goals mm -hmm. for goal differential was minus 37. Compared that to Miami, who was minus 59 last season, and they were the bottom two teams in the NCHC. And I bring that up for a particular reason. Minus 82 in the shot differential, compared that to Miami, was minus 400 and something. It was a terrible margin for them. Periods one and two, their scoring and shot deficits are well into the negatives. How about this, Nick? Scoring by period in period number three, plus six, and shot differential in period number three, plus 81 mm -hmm. for this Tigers team. 321 and one when the opponents, or 321 and two when the opponent scores first, but six and three when they score first. They're a team that I feel like defensively for the bottom echelon teams in the NCHC last year was one of the best teams defensively. They just didn't score. They just couldn't find the back of the net, but they were always in hockey games. All of their games were one nothing games, 2-1 games, 3-2 games, these low-scoring affairs where, you know, if they were able to survive the first 20 minutes, they kind of had a little bit of pushback. They had a chance to win the hockey game, but when the other team, you know, got on the board early, that extra goal right out of the gate seemed to really kind of be the kicker that they weren't going to be able to surmount for this Tigers club. So um, one-goal games, they were 3-11. and 11 in those games. So think about that, Nick, you've got 14 games for this team and they only win three of them by one goal margins. Think about how different their record might look uh, had they been able to get some of those games, right? Huge. And you know, that was one of the biggest things with Colorado college that we saw in the transformation with Chris man over Mike Havlin. Uh, again, you remember this team a couple of years ago, they were a neutral zone trap team. Um, they essentially, you know, waited to sort of pounce on the other team's mistakes. Um, that was sort of their motto. Um, and granted, this was a team that played St. Cloud tough. If, if anybody really looks at the history of these two clubs, mm -hmm. you know, granted, win-loss records, you know, heavily favors St. Cloud. But let's even go back to last season. They needed overtime at, at Robeson Arena to win that first yeah. game. Um, and the second game... Also, granted, I think it got away at the end, but that was a close one, too. Uh, so they're they're not a trap team anymore. Um, they're starting to put some more offensive pressure on. They're really trying to value puck possession. Um, they're trying to, again, get north out of their zone quick. Um, again, defensively, they're underrated, um, I think. Yeah. They're very underrated. And again, it's overshadowed by the fact that they can't just turn those opportunities to score. Um, so yeah. to me... If you talk about teams, and as I mentioned earlier, the teams that are primed to, to have the best opportunity to make a move, this is why. Those statistics that you just mentioned prove that. Um, this team, 
14 one goal games again you flip those numbers yeah could dare i say they're in the top four yeah even or even if they're 500 they're vying for a fifth or sixth spot yeah you know it's just they're yeah, I mean, it makes a huge difference. And I was kind of going back to see, we were talking about the St. Cloud series. Of course, they met in a much bigger ice sheet in St. Cloud at the tail end of February. And it was a four to one loss and a six to two loss against the Huskies for the Tigers. So I kind of wanted to see that comparison too. But again, they're a team that historically, of course, Nick, when you and I were calling games together back in 2019-20, they gave the Huskies fits and I believe came in and swept St. Cloud in their yeah. own building. I mean, and yeah. everyone was like, whoa, you know, what What has happened here? Um, and the Tigers the year before, of course, in, in one of the best seasons in St. Cloud State history, were the only team to push the Huskies almost to the brink of losing on home ice. And, of course, undefeated mm-hmm. on home ice that season. So, um, And they're a team that you talk about Chris Mayotte and his coaching potential and what he brings to the table a very low penalized team minus two and a half penalties less per game than their opponent. One of the best margins in the NCHC and they only take 10 penalties per game. The NCHC average is somewhere around like 15 to 16. So you talk about where this team is at. They're not a highly penalized team. Now, granted they can't hold a lead because generally they're in one, nothing games, one, one games. You know, they're not a team that holds a lead very often. So their record when, you know, tied or trailing or even sometimes leading after period one, period two is not the best. And they're not out shooting opponents very much because they're not really waking up that offense until the tail end of the hockey game. But I think if you're able to kind of take anything from that is that defensively, they're a very solid group. They're able to, even when they're being outplayed, they're able to survive the storm a little bit. Compare that to Miami, unfortunately for the Red Hawks, when the, the floodgates open, you know, there's no way getting them shut again. I think with, the Tigers, it really has been more of a, a trickle of water, not as opposed to what a river would be essentially in terms of offense against them. Power play wise, not great, 16.8%, but not terrible. I mean, it's not like it's a basement dwelling type power play. I mean, it's still somewhat productive, 24 goals in the season and just under 150 tries last year. Uh, they were 72.3% on the PK, though. They did allow 38 power play goals on 137 mm-hmm. chances. So um, definitely something that you want to kind of clean up a little bit. But that's the other thing, too, is that they didn't allow a lot of power play chances for how much they would have been hemmed in their own zone and running around. So trying to stay disciplined and realizing that when you're under duress, you don't have to do too much. You got to protect the middle of the ice and you have to stay patient and wait for your chances to try to turn pucks over. And I think that the Tigers have a strong defensive foundation to build upon this season. They just got to score more. I, I mean, there's no other way to put it. And that's part of it too, Noah, where it's, you know, these close games and what often gets missed is, you know, Colorado College, and this just goes to the trend, right? They were a team that just, they spent a lot of time in their own zone. That's tiring, right? And then you talk about PK. I think those numbers correlate. I think we all could agree on that, where, you know, you kind of get hemmed in, you take a penalty, and granted, with Chris Mayotte, right? Uh, You're trying to keep the game close, right? If you know that maybe you don't have that offensive driver, you don't have, like, maybe the natural skill up front, if you don't give them free opportunities, you know, for better chances of, of, of either pulling ahead by two, uh, you're trying to keep it close. Again, you got to stay disciplined. Um, the problem with that is it's, you know, it's almost again in the, in the second period, the long change period, that's where it really hurts a team like, you know, CC and Miami and potentially in yeah. Omaha, but this is where CC gets a lot of credit, their structure and their discipline to their defensive structure. Right. Um, you know, yeah. Like you said, you're under duress. Um, you can survive it. 
And then at the end of it, this is almost where it's almost like that second wind, right? Where all of a sudden you get out of the second period. It's still a one goal game. Maybe it's tied and you go, we got a chance to win this thing. It was that second win for me. And they came out and they, they played a full 60 minutes. I mean, this team never went away. I think that's the biggest, uh, you know, thing that we've seen with Chris Mayo is this team fought all 60 minutes. Um, you couldn't say that with Mike Havlin's squad. Um, again, with Mike Havlin's squad, they were definitely more for sure out of hockey games earlier. They weren't close. So again, those numbers trend that way. But with Chris Mayotte, um, you can definitely see the difference in this hockey squad. And what, that's why I'm so excited to see this Tiger squad this year, because I do think they're going to take yet another step on that department. And I think instead of, you know, sort of being the guy that takes a, 10 punches and then tries to throw one. I think they're going to start to be a little bit more of the aggressor, maybe throw in three or four. Um, this is going to be a fun team to watch. Yeah, I think so too. I think the sky's the limit for this group. When we talked about shots by period, the, the margin again, minus 82 overall, uh, but 953 shots for 1,035 shots against both of those numbers in either category, uh, good on one side, bad on the other. They're about 150 to 200 shots less on either side of those brackets than the other two teams that we've covered so far. So you talk about low shooting games, games that are really structured around the defensive game and really trying to clog the middle of the ice in that transitional game. And we've seen these Tiger teams have a bit of pushback now. And we talked about Mike Havlin's squad. They were a team that were comfortable getting outshot by 35 or 40 and just trying to hang around. This team still hangs around in, in similar fashion, but they have pushback and they're limiting chances. The shot margins are not exactly astronomical like they were with Mike Havlin's group. So there is progress in the right direction. And certainly, uh, you know, having a new building and kind of getting a fresh facelift with both coaching and a new building, I think certainly helps, uh, you know, mm-hmm. kind of helps the program retool. Uh, and now they're looking towards the future. Last season, of course, though, uh, four seniors, five juniors, 14 sophomores on this roster and five freshmen for a crew of 28 last year uh hunter mccowan who apparently is playing a hockey game right now for team usa uh 35 games for him he was their leading scorer with 21 points again think about this though their highest score it was a 0.6 point per game clip three power play goals and dash 10 on the season so you talk about you know just a team that just was not able to produce a whole lot offensively for as stellar as their defensive play was logan will who was a sophomore last season, 18 points for him. Stanley Cooley, who was a freshman, 18 points for him last season as well. Uh, Matthew Gleason, who was a sophomore, had 16 points in 28 games played, a very good hockey player there. Three power play goals in the season for him. One of the things that I like about that, we just named three sophomores and a freshman in that forward group, right? And then their top defenseman, Nicholas Andrews, was a sophomore last year, uh, had two power play goals to go along with 15 points and was minus eight. And then the one senior uh, last year that will actually stay is the only graduate uh, that's retained is Brian Yoon, who of course yes. had who of course had some injury troubles a couple of years ago. Uh, had 12 points last season and was plus one on the year. He was one of only two players on this roster that was that were the only ones that were in the plus column, and the other was Jackson Ross, senior defenseman, who only had two games in the season and a plus one rating. So you talk about how impressive it is when most of these guys were you know minus seven, minus eight, minus ten. We talk about plus minus being kind of a double-edged flawed stat at times, but I think when you know what this Colorado College team was, you know that Brian Yoon was able to be someone who was going to be about even in terms of plus minus, and you were going to get a good game out of him. So uh, talking about top forwards, top defensemen, uh, is there anything, you know, talking especially about the youth of this crew, these players getting ready to be sophomores and juniors that have carried the mail last season, that's got to be exciting for this team. 
It is. And the one name that you didn't mention, because he's not necessarily a statistical king, but a guy that has created a lot of habit. How about Brett Chorsky um, mm-hmm. sitting around the net? And, and when I say Brett Chorsky, I mean all six foot six uh, of this guy. He's a big monster. And he was a absolute pest around opposing net miners in terms of having a little bit of that net front presence. Um, good around the net. He's got good hands for a guy his size. Um, again, the Chorsky name should sound familiar to a lot of folks here on this podcast who listen to it. Yes, the son of, of Tom Chorsky. So at the end of it, you know, they've got a mix, right? You know, they've got a little bit of size. They got a little bit of grip. They got some skill. Again, Matthew Gleason, the guy that I watched uh, back in 2019 uh, with Geno Parrish, calling that to high school all-star prospect, former Cretan Durham Hall star. He was an absolute stud. Um, in that game. And again, you know, as a sophomore, you know, really emerged late last season, um, you know, trying to get comfortable in the NCHC. He's an absolute buzzsaw of a player um, who has great hands, great vision, great IQ. Um, so, and then Brian Yoon, going back to him, you know, captain, very, very likable guy. Um, had a, have had a chance to talk to him multiple times throughout HP and, and NCHC media. Day. He's a great uh, human being. Um, yeah no doubt he'll be their captain again. So you talk about guys that are both in the youth movement, but also you got some of that veteran presence. So you have that like, you know, that likable mix that you'd like to see from a coaching staff. Um, and then obviously we'll talk about some of the new coming uh, freshmen and they've got some skill coming in Noah. Yes. And that's, what's going to be the biggest mail carrier is Holy cow. And Chris Mayotte, his recruiting has uh, let's say yielded a big fruitful harvest. We'll put it to you that way. Yeah, speaking of Fruitful Harvest, Brett Chorsky getting ready for his sophomore season. Derek Felske had this question. Uh, how many points do you think he'll have this year? That's a great question. Um, you know, again, I think he'll get more. And let me pull up the stats here real fast because, uh, you know, of course, I, I don't have all the stats. I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to take a guess. <laughs> I want to say he had like 12 points, 11 or 12 last year, maybe 13 uh, I'm not sure. It. I'm curious. Uh, to... had nine points, so four nice. goals, five okay. assists. Um, but again, four goals. And again, those were a lot of just kind of, uh, you know, the grease goals, the grease pan goals, as our, our good friend Dave Shayek likes to call them. Um, and again, if you, you throw some more pucks through, if they start joining some more offense, especially from their back end, um, he could be a huge power play asset, especially being that screen in front of the net. And then obviously he's got some good natural hands, as I mentioned before. Um, I would say let's give him 16. I think he uh, almost doubles that. That was really going to be my guess. I say seven goals, nine assists, 16 points is my guess there. I think he takes a, takes a nice little jump there. And like you mentioned, he's not a guy that statistically maybe pops out at you, uh, but it's what he does in all facets of his game that you know is likable about the way that he plays. So uh, excited to keep an eye on him, obviously, as he enters his second year in a Tiger sweater. Uh, of course, the top goaltenders last year, uh, Dominic Bassey, uh, who was a sophomore last season. Oops. Yeah, I had 24 <laughs> games played, uh, 6-15-2, and two, a 3-2-3 goals against, and an 8-8-9 save percentage over just over 1,300 minutes. Uh, he had 14 starts versus conference opponents and started 23 of the 24 games that he appeared in. So that's some decent news. I. Uh, Matt Vernon, who was a junior last year, was technically the backup. 16 games played for him, uh, 2-8 goals against, 908 save percentage, 840 minutes, and a 3-9-1 record. 
he had 10 starts versus conference opponents. Uh, so he had to jump in for some of those games, at least six of them uh, for Dominic and the way that the Tigers played last season. So just kind of something to keep an eye on if you're a St. Cloud State fan. Um, so goaltending wise, we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, there happens to be another player playing on this world junior roster that might be some much aided help uh, for this yeah. Tigers team in that category. So exciting for them uh, on that one uh, or other notable player moves here before we get to this year's team. Uh Dominic Massey, he's headed to St. Cloud State for his junior season. Uh, defenseman Jordan Biro, uh, junior, he's headed to AIC. Uh, for Jackson Judding, who's a sophomore, he'll head to Bemidji State next season. So, and then defenseman, the yeah, no kidding, a little bit closer to home. Uh, defenseman Brian Hawkinson, defenseman Hugo Blixt, and defenseman Jackson Ross are all graduating and not returning this season. Brian Yoon is the only one that is staying for his graduate year. And then uh, freshman Noah Laba, Laba, however you say it, uh, he's not going to Colgate. He's staying with Colorado College. If you look at some of the col um, college hockey news player moves and some of the elite prospects stuff, for some reason it has him listed as Colgate still. Um, he's definitely on the Tigers roster. Uh, so for those who are kind of taking a look at that, it was kind of a weird little quirk that I was noticing as I was putting together my notes. So, uh, but this season's group, let's jump into them, Nick. Uh, one graduate, like we mentioned, five seniors, 10 juniors, four sophomores, eight freshmen for 28 once again here. 16 forwards, nine defensemen, three goaltenders rounding out the roster. Uh, so as we jump into the freshmen, five forwards, two defensemen, and one goaltender, Nick. Uh, should we start with the forwards like we did last time? Sure. Uh, and jump in. I. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to see the theme of each of these teams, Nick. We talked about Miami and their uh, little bit of speed versus skill. Uh, Omaha definitely is bringing in some guys that maybe are a little bit quicker to help out with that gritty presence uh, for their team. This group has some big bodies here coming in. Uh, on the forward side, though, we'll start with Ryan Beck, who's five foot nine, one ninety five, a two thousand two from Linden, Michigan. Forty six points in fifty three games for Dubuque last year, not too shabby. I uh, pretty much a pure playmaker, thirty seven assists last season, uh, and had five goals and twenty three assists for twenty eight points the previous season. And this is kind of cool. And this is I, I don't know if any other team in the NCHC does this. We're going to find out as we go along. But when you look on uh, the roster for the Tigers, they actually have comments from Chris Mayotte about each of these incoming freshmen. And I think that's really cool. So you get kind of a picture as to what this player is bringing. So I, I think if it's all right with you, Nick, do you mind if I read the comments for each player yeah. and we can kind of discuss that? Um, mm -hmm. So Ryan Beck, uh, very gifted playmaker. Vision and skill allows him to put teammates in great spots that not many other players can. He has been a top scorer on every team he has played for, which should help our offense moving forward. So he's kind of, he's the only forward that actually, Nick, uh, stands under six foot one out of this oh, incoming geez. freshman group. So that's, yeah, so there's a little bit of a sneak preview, but 46 points, 53 games for Dubuque, uh, not too bad. No, not at all. And uh, you talk about you need uh, maybe, you know, kind of like a Zach Okabe type sometimes where, you know, you, you can be that like that sort of water bug and you can sort of, you know, be that quick skater and be the guy that yeah. kind of can create some space for others. So, um, again, you talk about that mix of different skill sets and whatnot. Um, he can be a guy that could be surprising again, as we see with hockey sizes. Well, it's good to have it, but you know, if it's if you don't, well, you can certainly be good in other areas. And I, I'm pretty sure with Ryan Beck, um, he's going to have some some sputtering hands and probably some quick feet, so he'll definitely be a driver of possession with that squad. 
Certainly agree. Uh, moving on to our next forward, and apologies if I get these names wrong. Some of them, uh, no pronunciation guide, and I'm doing my best, I promise. Uh, first name I can get on this one, though. Uh, Noah is his first name. Last name, uh, Serdachny, Serdachny. Um, six foot one, 190 pounds, a 2003 from Edmonton, Alberta. I uh, played for Salmon, Salmon Arm in the BCHL, 63 points in 54 games. Um, led the team and was fifth in the league in the playoffs with 19 points, had six goals and 13 apples in the postseason. So pretty good little run there. Uh, Coach Mayotte says he's a skilled center who has two productive years in the BC. His skill size and IQ make him a threat anytime he has the puck, can play all 200 Ooh. feet, and has the skill to make the players around him better. So wow. good 200-foot centerman there. Uh, are those valuable to a hockey team, Nick? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how about that comment, though? I mean, yeah. rarely, I shouldn't say rarely, but when a coach says you make players around him better, this may be the guy to watch if you're the Tigers. Again, especially at the center ice position, his IQ, so he knows he sees the ice well. He's looking for passing lanes. And then defensively, too, if you're that guy that can read plays through multiple layers, uh, know where to be, know where your coverage is, can read off your own, all, your, even your own defenseman, too, to know uh, where you're supposed to be at in coverage, whether you go down low to help out with a puck battle, maybe stay high, maybe take away a passing lane. Um, and then again, if he's a threat to shoot, oh my gosh, um, dare I say yeah. this is a Elias Pettersson clone? Maybe? Yeah. Well, we already have That's an Elias exciting. Pettersson. We already have an Elias Pettersson clone. His name is Elias Pettersson and he just got drafted. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, um, right. So, <laughs> those, are pretty, those are pretty, yeah. uh, pretty awesome comments though from Chris Mayotte. So he'll yeah. be a player to watch for sure. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, it's, I wish we had more of this and, and St. Cloud state athletics people take note here. Cause I would love to hear someone like Brett Larson and what he has to say about the current players coming into the squad. I, when you know, you have an intelligent uh, and elite hockey mind like Chris Mayotte is to hear him talk about players and really describe the facets of the game, especially an incoming freshman. So you can get more of a bearing on them. Uh, I, I don't know as a, as a hockey nerd, I think it just uh, kind of makes me giddy a little bit to getting to hear about some players, to be honest with you. Next Noah on the docket, uh, Noah Lava, like we talked about six foot two, one ninety, right-handed shot uh, from Northville, Michigan, a 2003 as well. Fourth round selection by the Rangers in this past draft, 39 points in 50 games with Lincoln this past season. And uh, Chris Mayotte says that he has really come on over the past couple of years and become a consistent and reliable center. He combines skating, mm. size, and compete level with a nose for finding the back of the net. He is just beginning to scratch the surface on this on the type of player that he can be. Um, so Ooh. it seems like development is definitely going to play a factor there. Uh, and you talk about, you know, the guys like that who I, uh, you know, he's just beginning to scratch the surface on the type of player he can be. How important is it? And obviously Noah's going to do his own thing, but for Chris Mayotte to kind of, you know, give that approach and give that sense of, Hey, you should be here for two, three, four years and really refine your game before you decide about jumping into the next level. And we're going to, we're going to expand your toolbox and your toolkit. It's really important, right? Because I mean, you talk about guys and I mean, what's, what's this go to, dare I say golfer, um, with Matty Nyes, honestly. Um, I mean, there's no question he could have jumped in the NHL this season. I think there's I know little people that would disagree with me on that, yeah. but who was it? Austin Matthews. I was like, no, he was basically said, yeah. dude, enjoy your time. And you know, don't rush it. Um, cause number one, Again, we talk about, you know, this is a pro NCAA podcast for sure. But again, the memories both on and off the ice, you know, the camaraderie that you build, but also 
when you think you're ready, there's always more to learn, right? I, I think that's yeah. the biggest thing is, especially with these jumps to the NHL. I mean, granted, the NCAA in the last couple of years, you're seeing some high-profile players uh, make jumps, and which means that if you're a player, and as you mentioned, you know, was would you say a fourth-round selection um, for the Rangers? So yeah. they see potential in him. Uh, they see the skill set, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that you know, you're done learning, you're done growing, right? And I think with Chris Mayotte and what these coaches are smartly telling you guys is, hey, what's in your head and what you think you're ready, there's a lot more than that just as that. You know, there's so much to refining, and the game of hockey is so many minor de- – and that's what separates the NHL players from, you know, guys like you and I, hate to say it, but you know, it's the attention yeah. to details, right? And so um, that's the next level for this young gentleman. And, uh, again, uh, a Rangers prospect, so they see the potential. They see maybe the ceiling for him. So another great pickup, and, again, with Chris Mayotte, dead on the money you know use your three four years and you know don't just think you're ready you know have everybody say yes you are ready yeah definitely it kind of almost feels like a seamless transition at that point uh our Mm -hmm. final two forwards here i'm going to put them together because they're pretty much similar builds similar players and we'll talk about them both here uh gleb uh some hard names in this group, by the way. So I'm curious to see how we pronounce all of these. First of all, uh, six foot four, 200, uh, left-handed shot, a 2003 from New Jersey, 28 points in 56 games with the Lincoln stars this past season, uh, fourth on the team in goals. Uh, and coach Mayotte says Gleb has a unique combination of size, skill, and grit. He's an impressive competitor who shows up every night to make an impact. His attributes allow him to be a true power forward, especially how he uses his physical tools to be hard on opponents and get to the scoring areas. So kind of a bit more Anjay Kopitar as power forward in the corner for him. And then uh, Cade Aaronholz, who is a Lakeville, Minnesota mm-hmm. native, yes. uh, six foot three, 212 pounds, a 2002 right-handed shot, 19 points for the Omaha Lancers in 57 games last year. And of course, was a team captain uh, as a senior at Lakeville South uh, in 2020-21, the year prior. Um, and Coach Mayotte said that he's a big body, knows how to play the game hard and get to the net. Most of his goals in the past year were within five feet of the crease. Uh, he has a great compete level and a motor that allows him to impact the game, even if he doesn't find his way onto the score sheet. So a couple of guys that uh, big frames, big size, muck and barn in the corners and around the crease. Uh, is this uh, something that if you're Chris Mayotte, it, you know, you are going out and maybe targeting as you look at the, yes. the squad from last year? You are absolutely targeted because let's look at this. I think Chris Mayotte sees the potential that we do. But how do you stop and how do you compete with the same clouds the North Dakota? You've got to match size with size, 100%. And you have to be able to challenge their defensive core. Um, And you can do that with guys, like we mentioned, with Chorsky and then with some of these other players that you mentioned who, again, make their living around the net. That Maybe you create a little bit of a mismatch there. Maybe you get guys to double-team one player, and then that's when your skill guys come in, fill the gaps, get that loose change. So... This is incredibly smart recruiting here by Chris Mayotte, too. Um, so to me, it's like he, he's looking up. He sees the proverbial bear, per se, and he's going, okay, no, I'm going to come size with size. So I like this mix just in the four group. I'm excited for this. This is awesome um, job by Chris Mayotte. So um, please tell me we continue this um, on the defensive, of course, because, again, if that's your key to success on the opposite end, that means you know that it's going to come back at you. So what about the defensive corps? 
Defensive core is a little bit different, and uh, it's kind of interesting. And, of course, don't forget, uh, I, I also want to throw out, because I don't know the answer, Mike Havlin definitely might have had a, a touching hand in some of these players, too. We have no oh, idea, sure. too. Mm -hmm. You know, so, of course, with recruiting um, being so far out. But I know one of these players is definitely a Chris Mayotte selection. We'll get to him in just a second. The other, uh, Ethan uh, Strackey, Strakey, however you say it, 5'11", 185, a right-handed shot uh, from Walnut Creek, California, 2003. Five points in 22 games with the Green Bay Gamblers in the USHL uh, this season. 35 points in 93 games with the U.S. Uh, U17 and U18 teams, though. So a um, little bit of kind of background for this. Uh, Chris had this to say. Um, Ethan didn't have the production he was hoping for this past year due to injuries. So kind of had that injury bug going on. Uh, however, we think he has all the tools to be a top defenseman in our league. He can skate, defend, and work a blue line. Has an offensive mindset that will help our team produce more offense from the decor. So let's talk about him very briefly here. Uh, out of the two of them, I'm going to tell you right now, he's the offensive defenseman in 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 the pairing here. I uh, you know didn't really have the greatest numbers because he was battling some injury, but 35 points in 93 games with uh, those under 18 teams in the U S national development program. That's got to bode well. And uh, I would imagine Chris Mayotte probably knows the U S program very well when it comes to that age range. Definitely does. And you know, you talk about how your offense, especially in today's game does get generated and fueled by the decor, right? So you talk about a guy that can walk a blue line, He's a good skater. He can obviously move the puck north. And if he's getting shots through, um, even better, again, that you don't make the U.S. national uh, teams by mistake. You earn those spots. And yep. so was, was, uh, with uh, this young player here, um, you, you got to wonder what the offensive upside is. And maybe so, you know, does that help maybe alleviate some pressure? Also from offensive guys to up front, you know, and again, this bodes well for guys like you mentioned before, Brett Shorsky. Just name one of them. You've got a couple guys that can get around the net. The defenseman's job is not to try to score from the back, and they're just trying to get the puck through. And if it gets to the back of that, great. If not, you've got guys that are apparently that can pick up some loose change. This is this is nice. This is a nice bit of recruiting by Chris Mayotte. Yeah, the other uh, out skater in this group, and then we'll get to the goaltender here. Uh, they were originally only supposed to be seven freshmen coming into this group here, Nick. Uh, this uh, last player was a late addition about three weeks ago uh, is when he was recruited. Doesn't actually have a photo on the website. Uh, that's Nikolai Charchenko, six foot two, 210 pounds, the 2001 from... From Victoria, Minnesota. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Uh, 12 points in 60 games with the Minot Minotauros last season, of course, which is where I am going to be working again this year. Uh, assistant captain uh, for last season. Um, not a big point producer. Does He sits second all-time in most games played by a Minot Minotauro. I think it's 150-something. He sits in second place by about 10 games or something like that. So he, I mean, there's a guy who was in the lineup in and every night uh chris mayotte says that he brings valuable junior experience to the blue line three-year junior player and Minot developed into a leader both in the dressing room and the community strong defensive foundation makes it hard for opponents by using his iq long reach and strength um not that i don't trust chris mayotte on this one but i i definitely would like to add to that a little bit the duty the dude eats pucks for a living that's exactly what he is he's the type of defenseman who imagine imagine if you took Nick Lidstrom, you took away his offensive side, but you expanded his defensive game, essentially. 
and then threw a little Nicholas Hjalmarsson shot blocking in there. That's what Nikolai brings to the table. He's someone who is defensively sound, forces attacking forwards to go to the outside pretty much every time they come into the zone. And yeah, I, I, I wonder what if we actually took track of the shots blocked category where he would rank, I'm sure he'd be the all-time leader in Taro's history because he just gets in front of every shot lane and boxes out so well. He's definitely not a guy that's flashy on the offensive side, but one of those defensemen who just finds a shooting lane and either floats a puck towards the net or floats it back down low. Every play he makes is north-south. It's a smart hockey play, and it, he's a very fundamental hockey player. He's not going to win any awards for his flashiness, but he's someone that you can – Plug him any place in the lineup on the defensive core, and you're going to get a good, solid defensive defenseman that's going to keep the puck in front of him. So I got to like it. You do, and you know he's the he's the guy that just keeps the game simple, right? And I think for yeah. head coaches, that's sometimes you you need a guy like that. And again, you know the shot blocking, it's not going to win you know any scoring titles. It's not yeah. going to you know, you know, be a crowd favorite, at least at times. Um, but it can be a transformative thing in any hockey game. Um, it can frustrate both your offensive opponents as well as your defense on the other side. Um, it, it can, and also helps your transition game. Again, if you've got the right, you know, ways to, to read that play. Um, and again, if you can force things to the outside, you're not giving away the middle of the ice. Like you say, um, yeah. these top teams will live to eat the middle of the ice uh, again, this is a recipe for, okay, we've got some different things covered here. So, um, sometimes the simple players are, are the best. They're just not trying to do too much. Um, they do those little things. They do it well. And, uh, they make a big impacts, not only in the dressing room and on, on the bench, uh, but certainly in the coach's uh, game plan. There's no question about it. Yeah, certainly. And a great human being off the ice too. Just a really good leader and a really good community guy too. So I'm uh, really excited for Nikolai. He's definitely, definitely earned that opportunity. So uh, wishing him the best of luck, obviously, as well as the rest of this freshman clue and crew, I should say, including goaltender Caden Mberko, who is just finishing a hockey game right now, 5'11", 190 uh, from West Bloomfield, Michigan. Uh, boy, what a great goaltending pickup for this squad. It yes. is 18, 11, and 3 record with Lincoln this last year. Uh, 3.01 goals against, 8.98 save percentage. Uh, tied for 6th in the USHL, 18 victories and 12th in save percentage, even with a team in front of them that maybe wasn't the greatest. Of course, has been on the international stage uh, with the U.S. national development teams. Of course, a 9-2-7 save percentage in three games uh, at the under-18s last year. Uh, was the sixth overall pick in the 2021 USHL draft, of course, and is on the current World Junior roster as well. So, um, Coach Mayotte. Incredible athletic goalie, ability to make difficult saves is impressive, but his ability to make difficult situations look easy is what sets him apart. He has a great work ethic and is someone that his teammates will love to rally around. He will bring big game experience to our goaltending group. So uh, we've gotten a firsthand look at this kid, of course, in the past couple of games of the World Juniors. Uh, I think the Tigers net uh, is definitely in some pretty decent hands, literally and figuratively. Uh, very, very good hands. And for Caden and Barico, again, the, the starter here for the U S uh, world junior team, uh, holy cow. Um, now mind you, he kind of still embodies where Colorado college even was a couple of years ago. Right. I mean, even going back to Dominic Basie, sometimes their goaltenders were the best players on the ice for this squad. And how about this? Yeah. Now it could be not only still one of the better ones, but how about a marquee, like highly skilled goaltender that's going to help them. So 
holy cow, what a pickup this is for Chris Mayon. Yeah. So um, if there's anything that NCHC teams are going to learn about this Colorado squad, and dare I say this is bold prediction, dare I say CC could, if the card's right, crack five, maybe four? Yeah, I, I know. mean, it, are we yeah. really talking this? I mean, I think it's absolutely possible yeah. with the squad that they have. I really do. Now, I still think there's going to be a lot of cards that fall correctly for them to make that happen, but it's the potential is there. I think CC could really surprise a lot of people this year. And again, um, when you have a good goaltender that maybe can steal you a game that has, as Chris Mayot said, big game experience. So the spotlight doesn't bother him. Um, and so to me, the transition into NCAA Division One and more importantly, NCHC, the best conference in college hockey, will be pretty seamless for him. So, uh, yeah, that's a great start to have a, a goalie of that caliber in that. You've got some, you know, different tools such as defenseman. You've got some good forwards coming in the group. You've got a good foundation already from last season. There's a lot to like about this Tiger squad. Yeah, there I know really it is. is. And I was putting together these notes and I was thinking the same thing where it's like, man, when is the last time that the Tigers have, let's be honest, when's the last time have they truly been in the mix? And uh, it's exciting to kind of think about the fact that they might be getting back to that point here. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, like you mentioned, Caden, uh, as well as Hunter McCallan, who's a junior this season for the Tigers, uh, made that final Team USA roster for the World Juniors. Um, they were the first players on a current Tigers roster to participate in the tournament since 2014 when uh, yep. Jacob Slavin uh, participated for Team USA and Gustav Olofsson skated for Sweden. And it has been 18 years since a pair of Tigers earned a spot on the Team USA squad. Uh, Brett Sterling and Mark Stewart back in 2004. Oh, wow. So, and then, of course, Chris Mayotte, of course, uh, on the team as well, was with the team last year. And then uh, gold medalist 2017 and 2021 and bronze in 2018 for him as well, too. So um, first half schedule, October 1st against Air Force, the 7th and 8th. They travel to, or excuse me, they are at Air Force, and then they travel back home to face Alaska Anchorage. October 14th and 15th, they travel to St. Lawrence and then to Arizona State the following weekend before a home-and-home at and then against Air Force. Uh, November 4th and 5th starts their conference play. Duluth Bulldogs are the first team that they will host for NCHC action and then traveling to Miami the next weekend in November, then hosting the St. Cloud State Huskies November 18th and 19th, uh, December 2nd and 3rd, heading to Duluth and finishing out the first half of the season in mid-December against Omaha at home. So actually not too shabby of a schedule. I don't think. I mean, you really have a chance to kind of generate some traction, I think, in the first half. They open the second half with Princeton, followed by traveling to St. Cloud in the second week of January, then hosting Western Michigan, finishing off. I like this. Most teams have essentially uh, a bye week somewhere in there where they don't play. Denver uh, will host them on January 27th on that Friday. But then the second game of that series will be played the next Friday against Denver at home on February 4th. So they get a game on each weekend, essentially, instead of having that one stretch with time off. Now, if you have injuries or you need the time, it would be nice. But at the same time, you have a week to prepare for a single game for two straight weeks and you stay a little bit fresh. So I like that, too. Uh, February 10th and 11th, they travel to Omaha then traveling to Western Michigan at home against North Dakota to finish out February, and then a home-and-home home March 3rd and 4th at and then against Denver at home to round out the season. So, Nick, uh, let's get into some listener questions. Do you have anything you want to add on the schedule? No, not, not really. Schedule, no, yeah. yeah. 
just kind of like to rip through it for people. Um, in case you want to head to a Tigers game, check out Ed Robeson Arena. I think that would be a fun little road trip to take if you're it in the be. NCHC for sure. Uh, fan questions. Uh, a bunch of them, essentially, we had uh, five people asking questions, uh, but they asked a lot of questions in their little blurb. So we'll kind of try to go through those as much as we can. Let's start with uh, kind of the fun one here. This is both from Weldy at More Clappers. Uh, and then Derek Felska also asked a similar question. So Derek asked if it was CC or Ferris State that had the most generic uh, jerseys. And then uh, more clappers asked, how do we bring back their good yellow jerseys? Which I don't know if you've seen them. They're kind of the old Boston Bruins yep. type retro. Those things were sick. They were um, good. You know, here's the thing. I, I know people, they rip on the jerseys. I don't mind the whites. I know people don't like the text, the generic block text on the front of them. Uh, it's, it's the, the darks or the, whatever you want to call them that I'm not a fan of the whites are right. okay to me. Whites are fine. I, I don't mind. They kind of remind me of the old Boston Bruins style sleeving or like the Brandon Weekings kind of yep. thing, but we got to bring back the old Tigers logo, the old silk jerseys. You remember those? I agree. Yeah. Those, those were, were sick. those were nasty in a good way. Yeah, no, they were good. I don't, yeah, like mid-2000s, like late 90s, early 2000s, they kind of hit their prime with a couple of really good jerseys. I, I think if you're the Tigers, too, and I and I don't know what their their jersey regulations are, but anything in black, too, if you have an all-black setup at some point, even if it's just an alternate, I mean, you can't go wrong with all-black, with yellow and white. So I think there's my answer on that one. Uh, least goal scored in the NCHC by far. Uh, who needs to step up for this team, Nick? As we look at this roster, is there somebody that, you know, you were kind of, we talked about Brett Chorsky a little bit. We talked about some of these younger guys that are either freshmen or coming to their second or third years now being upperclassmen. Is there anybody in particular that you kind of look to? I don't know if there's anybody in particular, but I think where Colorado College is going to look for more either productions actually from their blue line, their, uh, their, their defensive core as a whole. Right. I think, yeah. you know, it, it, to the casual eye, right. You, you, you focus on the forwards. You think, okay, these are the guys that are supposed to put the puck in the net. But oftentimes again, we forget that the game has evolved so much that a lot of the uh, offensive is, is, is driven by the defensive core. And especially if you have guys that are coming in that can walk the line, they can get pucks through um, whether they are scoring on those or creating secondary opportunities for others to swoop in and cash in right uh specialty teams too again the power play they mentioned wasn't the greatest um you know when you've got some of that different skill set that they have coming in that's where it's going to come from and dare we say the young guns are going to have to probably lead the charge a little bit um so i don't know if there's anybody in particular but i think th they're going to have to again win by committee a little bit um, just because again, you don't have like that stalwart offensive kind of weapon that maybe some of the other top teams in the conference do have, um, St. Cloud, by the way, is going to have a pretty nice offensive weapon coming in just a, a side note there. But, yeah. um, you know, with that, that means you got to get a little bit more from everybody. Right. So I, I don't know if you, 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 you pin it on one person, but I do think you, you want to your Chris may more from your defensive core and you're going to probably rely heavily on your underclassmen, your freshmen and your sophomores to really kind of drive the bus, uh, and try to carry the veterans with you a little bit. Um, I think that's kind of what they're looking at. I'm curious if you have anybody in particular or um, am I off the crazy train here at uh, 1135 at night? Well, I mean, that's a separate discussion that we don't yeah. have time for. No, but, we don't. Um, 
You talked about the youth movement, and I definitely agree. I, I'm going the other direction. Brian Yoon, I, I really think. I, as a graduate player here, of course, we talked about you know some of the injury pieces. His first two years in the NCAA with CC, 26 points and 17 points, followed by two points in 19 games his junior season, and last year, 12 points in 36 games. Uh, so that production is kind of dipped. We talked about some of that injury bug a little bit, too. I think he just needs to have a good season. I think he just needs to have a year where he feels comfortable, he feels like himself again, and just kind of relaxes and plays the game. How many guys get a chance to play an extra year of college hockey? You know, uh, I don't, right. I don't know if he's doing it for the girls or if he's doing it to win a national championship. But you know, regardless of that, uh, you know, it, is he just going to kind of relax and play his game and feel comfortable? You know, being that veteran presence, that leader again. That's a miracle quote, by the way, in case anyone was trying to catch that. But you know. Uh-huh here's the thing is, is like, you know, when you have a couple of years where you're, you know, you're more successful than maybe you expected in your first couple of years. And then you, you have an injury or you start to struggle a little bit and you don't feel like yourself. That's almost a scarier feeling than being a freshman who struggles out of the gate and then refines his game a little bit because Mm -hmm. you know, you had that success and now you're trying to recreate it a little bit. And I think uh, for him, he knows he's got a young car core coming in. Just try to teach them as a veteran leader, play your game and relax and have a little bit of fun. And I think the production will come for him. So he's the kind of guy that I highlight, I think, moving forward. Um, essentially, uh, Chris Mayotte, second year, make or break year. Is it too soon, soon to tell for them? Uh, and then uh, what are your early thoughts on the new coach and team identity? This is coming from Johnny Mack at Fight the Pants as well as more clappers. Um, yeah, second year, let's let's come on. the breaks a little bit. Come on, people. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's not even oh, second but- no, they're no, they're gonna can him. <laughs> like what? And that's the thing. It's it's not even a second. It's you know, hello. He's done one year so far. So again, like not only just pump the brakes, but I mean, can you put the parking brake on and let it freaking lock? I mean, come on, people. Yeah. Um, for those who are and, and maybe and maybe this is the maybe the, the the hockey guru virus we we have a little bit, Noah. Right? Which is you know we we've had opportunities myself to actually interact with him personally on multiple occasions, so we we can see a little bit of the inside of not only how he treats his players, um, the energy yeah. this guy exudes. I mean, seriously, he's just a wonderful human being. He knows the game. Let's look at again his history with the U.S. program again as an assistant right now. Um, you, again, you don't get there by random. You're not just pulled out of a hat and go, eh, Chris Mayotte. No, no, you earn that spot. You earn that respect. Um, and did you say, what, six years in assistant with the World Junior Program? Yeah, something like that. I, I That's it's a six. lot. Yeah. I mean, can we can we compare this to St. Cloud? Brett Larson, was it a couple of years that he's done? But not six. Yeah. You know, so, and it's not a slight on Brett. It just says that this is how much respect in the hockey circles this guy has. He's been on an assistant for six plus times going through the world junior, you know, campaigns. So that again, that shows you the kind of guy that you're looking at. So there's faith to this guy. Um, you know, again, we'll talk about Michigan later. Um, but you know, again, that's a big, uh, hockey program with a lot of notoriety. At least it did. Um, you know, again, you don't earn a coaching spot on that staff, unless you know what you're doing. So way too early. Number one, number two, whoever is asking that question will eat their words. I promise you that because again, this program is going up. This program is 100% going in the right direction. And if you are the GM of any team, I don't care if it's, if it's college and you're going to really make year two a make or break year. You should not be a GM of anything. That's way too soon to tell Year three fine, because now you have, 75% 75% of your roster should be your recruits with more coming in. You're seeing the recruiting trails. I mean, come on. 
this recruiting this recruiting list we just went over with with this with Chris Mayotte. And as you mentioned, there still might be a little bit of, of you know fingers in the pie there from Havlin, but I would say most of this is Chris Mayotte. And again, the fruits of his labor look pretty darn impressive. Um, yeah. from what we've seen so and, and also certainly might be a little bit of uh brad stewart as well too uh yeah. you know and his assistant coaching group uh as well so um second kind of question here it's kind of a two-parter from uh the same two guys here shorter bringing back senjin sterling what would be considered a successful season for the tigers and then johnny mack wants to know last year i saw a cc team that played hard did the gritty things like block shots and passing lanes but had long stretches where the game was happening to them and they couldn't control the play so kind Kind of, you know, what is how do we measure success for this group and what needs to change along those lines to get to that point? I think you flipped the script, right? And I think, you know, what the recruits that we saw and some of the skill sets and some of the uh, comments from Chris Mayotte show is that that's what exactly what they're trying to do. They know that. Um, they know that this is a process. They know that they want to be able to not only sit there and take the jabs I mentioned, they want to throw them back. Um, you know, they yeah. don't want to just play a trap game. They want to be able to transition and actually go on the attack and not only go on the attack, but how about this? Dare I say offensive zone time, you know, yeah. possess the puck, you know, create high danger scoring chances, you know, wear other teams down again. They got some big bodies in there. that can create half zone in front of the crease. You've got some mobile defensemen. You've got some highly skilled forwards in your group. Now you have, dare I say, one of the better goaltenders to come into the NCHC with Caden yeah. and Berko right now. Which um, is which is interesting. The other question we had was from Eric Zamora, um, who, of course, is now working for the St. Cloud Norseman. Him and I had a nice little chat. I'll get a chance to see him, of course. Uh, and he asked, how do they survive now that the brick wall of Dominic Bassey is gone? It, do, you, do you think that Caden and Berko is going to be the guy, or do you think senior Matt Vernon, who don't forget two years ago in North Dakota in Grand Forks, almost stole the show against the St. Cloud State Huskies and, mm -hmm. in that game and had a very good tournament there so um you know do you feel comfortable with the goaltending tandem and moreover who do you think is the guy that gets the call come day one i think they're going to go with Embarico if i if i dare say um i think that you know there'll definitely be a training camp battle for the spot no question and how about this let's just put them in tandem if you're chris mayot you've got two pretty darn good goaltenders that you can throw in the net and be comfortable with yeah. Um, I do think Mberko is the more talented goaltender of the two. I think he will win the starting job, but you know, you know, God forbid, and hopefully not, you know, whether it's injuries or whatnot, or maybe it's the freshman jitters, as we know, there could be some of that too with Mberko. Um, you can throw Matt and Vernon in there if you want to maybe, you know, maybe split a series or two down the road, but I think it's Mberko's job to lose at this point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of of the mind. I've always been, and I know college hockey, it's different, but I've been of the mind that I think you give Matt Vernon the first series and then you go from there and you see if he can play, it's his net. If he can't, Embarico gets a shot and then you go from there. I think you give the senior at least one weekend or one series to, to try to be the guy um, unless something crazy is happening at camp where it's completely obvious. Um, but I think he's earned at least that start. And then from there, all bets are off. Um, but I definitely, uh, you know, it, you don't know, you don't know how Emberko is going to adjust to, you know, or Matt Vernon might that's catch. The, fun. That, yeah. Right. And that's the yeah. X factor, right? So we'll have to see. Uh, last question. Caleb Peabody wants to know, Nick, uh, what oh, do little, what do little tigers dream of when they take their little tigers news? Uh, <laughs> that's from the song. What do tigers dream of uh, Stu's song? Um, 
I honestly didn't know what that was. And I looked it up and I wasn't disappointed. Uh, <laughs> but he, uh, he said that, that, that man just has a, has a token for funny. And sometimes I'm like, how is there a gift for everything? Uh, that's pretty good. So I, uh, yeah, of course, as we always do, uh, final kind of wrap ups here uh, and things for the tigers here, Nick, as we look forward to next season, uh, essentially for them, uh, if you're the Tigers heading into next year, what is your main goal, your main objective as you head into the season? And if you're St. Cloud State, you see them four times this year. Uh, first, you travel uh, on the road to see them. And then in the second week of January, you have them at home. What do you have to do to get all four wins against the Tigers? So if you're the Tigers, again, your your successful season uh, comes into do you see progress in terms of actually making an offensive push, right? Pushback, as you mentioned before. I think that's where it starts for them. Um, and I think if you can get into a sixth and maybe a battle for fifth, I think that's success. I really do. Um, and dare I say again, granted, could they maybe push for fourth? We don't know. Um, if you're in cloud again, you know, this is where it goes back to, I mean, St. Cloud's going to have an interesting spot here too. Noah, they're going to have a, a bit of a bigger freshman class. There's a lot of names that, we have been familiar with the past and are only with the squads. There's a lot of question marks with St. Cloud, but if you're St. Cloud, again, you win with your speed, uh, number one, uh, and you win with your offensive zone time. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, you generate, again, a lot from your defensive core. Uh, Jack Peart will probably be heavily relied on as we go into his sophomore season. Again, trying to get the puck north, um, winning those, and then just wearing teams down. I think, again, if Colorado College is to maybe stifle their progress. And that is, you know, getting back maybe to old habits, which is, you know, sitting back maybe a little bit too much, not able to uh, break out of their own zone. I think breakouts are going to be key for CC. So if you're, uh, if you're St. Cloud and you can just hem them in and just wear them down, that's how you beat CC this year. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Nick, I was kind of curious here uh, as I was looking through and I wanted to know uh, where these teams were, Nick, what is the highest finish uh, that, the Colorado College Tigers have ever had uh, in the NCHC. Did I say seventh? It's six. They've only finished six one time. Otherwise, they've been seventh or eighth the rest of the seasons. It was back in 2018-19. They finished with 30 points. So um, they were actually seven points behind number five, North Dakota. Um in fifth, kind of an interesting little thing. That was the, <laughs> that was the year that St. Cloud State, you know, went 19-2 and three. Uh, so I like you would kind of mention, you know, measuring success. I think getting back to that sixth spot where we have them right now will be a really great starting point for this program. I think, and this is kind of more of an abstract goal. I think generating enough traction and enough interest within the way that you play within the environment of Ed Ropes and Arena, and this kind of goes to the fans a little bit too, and just the structure and style of play, uh, to get that recruiting train rolling again a little bit. I think uh, if you have a good enough season to where even if you aren't as successful as you want to be on the ice, you have players who want to play for the Tigers again. I think that's what your goal kind of has to be this season and building on that foundation. Chris Mayotte only in his second season – they're not going to ax him. We just talked about that. So right. let him build on that foundation. Let him build his mark on this program. Uh, but to do that, you have to have some sort of on-ice product that's, that's exciting to watch in some way, shape, or form. So I think that's the goal for the Tigers is be exciting. You know, make it riveting. Even if you lose, even if you have the same thing you had last year, if you play 24 conference games and they're all one-goal games and you go 1-23, but they're all exciting barn burners, 
hey, that's all right, as long as you're working hard and having fun and creating some interest for the Tigers here. But I would love to see the Tigers uh, be a good hockey team again like they were back back in the day. So uh, as far as the Huskies, uh, I think a little bit here, you have to use your speed and skill against this team and don't get caught up in the size-for-size size matchup. And then in the gritty areas of the ice, preventing grease pan goals and creating some of your own. These are going to be some big boys, especially on the forward end, that you're going to be going up against with this Tiger squad. So uh, you have to be willing to go in the gritty areas, and you have to be willing to, if you're not going to be gritty, at least make speed and skill plays and make sure you're moving faster than them, quite obviously, mm -hmm. uh, and, and making those plays quick, uh, good transitional plays, good plays off the rush. So with that being said, we do wish the Tigers the best of luck as always, as we do against all NCHC opponents, except for, of course, our St. Cloud State Huskies. Uh, we're going to head on to our extra ice session. We're going to be talking about a couple of Tigers, as well as the rest of the United States World Junior Team, and then a little uh, program called uh, the Michigan Wolverines and their latest. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant here. Uh, we're going to start and jump right into it. Team USA and the World Juniors, they are headed as uh, the winners of their pool Group B. We just got the word mere moments ago, so... Uh, exciting there as we take a look at the new standing Sweden essentially fighting for second place tomorrow. Uh, as we take a look, the only games left are uh, the Swiss and the Austrians. Uh, and that game will have implications for the team that will face uh, the winner of pool a, which right now can be Canada or Finland right now it's Canada. Uh, so the winner of the Swiss and Austria game will get Canada, Finland uh, in the quarterfinals. Uh, the other game that's going on is Canada, Finland, and then Sweden and Germany will play each other. And the winner of that one will be second place in Group B behind the United States. So uh, the U.S., uh, pretty good run for them. 5-1 to one victory on August 9th versus Germany. 7-1 victory against the Swiss on the 11th. In the past two days, 7 to nothing versus Austria. And then uh, kind of a nail-biter at the end of this one here, a 3-2 to two victory against the Swedes. They were up 3 to nothing halfway through period number three and gave up uh, two goals, including one with just over a minute left to make that one a lot more interesting than you kind of want to. Uh, but for those who don't know, uh, the top four teams from the preliminary rounds uh, from each pool move on to the crossover quarterfinal game. So like we talked about, 1A plays 4B. So Canada versus Finland or Canada or Finland versus the Swiss Austria winner. Uh, and then the loser of Canada, Finland will get three B, which will either be Sweden or Germany. So the loser of that game, essentially um, on the other side, the United States will get uh, Czechia in the, in that matchup as the four a, and they have not had a great tournament as of late. No. And, and then Sweden and Germany will get the three a uh, team, which, is Latvia actually winning their first ever world junior uh, game essentially. And it had been, I'm trying to think it was like 3,875 days since they had actually won like a world junior type event. And it was against like Denmark or something like that. So it has been a long time coming and the emotion that you got to see from those players, which is exciting. I thought including so. St. Claude state recruit, Martin Lavins. Yeah. Who had a, one heck of a tournament to be honest with you so far. So um really excited for that Latvian group. Hopefully they can, you know, do something. Um They get Sweden or Germany. So uh, if Germany somehow is able to beat Sweden tomorrow, Germany has been the weaker of the two teams between the Swedes and Germany, but Latvia could have a chance. Uh, I think if they get the Germans, especially so, and then in the semifinals after the winners of each quarterfinal game, uh, the best ranked team 
ranked by placement in the group, points in the prelim round, goal differential, goals scored, and seeding coming into the tournament will kind of rehash themselves uh, as necessary. So we'll keep an eye on that one. But I think by the end of uh, the week, by the end of next show, we should have our winner uh, so mm-hmm. or something close to that. So pretty exciting on that one. Uh, I just want to talk briefly about the U.S.'s performance so far. Kind of hard to judge a little bit through the first three games because they were so dominant. Um, power play was exceptional. Uh, you know, it was over 60% uh, coming in. And the penalty kill, of course, was really good. Uh, some really great plays from this team. I thought they dominated most of the Sweden game. I didn't get a chance to see period three, and that's where all the action was. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, of course, that's exactly how it works, right? But beyond that, you know, taking a look at the U.S.'s performance, Nick, was uh, were there things that have stood out to you about this team? Are they – would you consider them the best team? Is Canada the best team, or is there another team that we're, we haven't really gotten a chance to highlight yet? Again, you know, with the World Juniors, and, and this is no slight in any other country that's in this. I mean, at least here in North America, everybody's looking for the Canada-U.S. matchup. There's no question about it. They're the 1A, 1B um, of this tournament. They've been that way for now of the better part of a decade. Um, and as you mentioned, really hard to judge the U.S. Um, they're right up there with Canada in terms of their depth um, in every position. Um, they're up there in terms of the speed and the skill level. Um, dare I say that Logan Cooley has had probably one hell of a tournament for the United States. Um, so has uh, Matthew Corrado. Holy cow, has he been uh, on fire? So, I mean, there's there's some... There's some names that are popping out out there, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the U.S. is getting production from up and down their lineup, and that's going to be key. Again, if you do end up getting that matchup against uh, uh, Canada, that you're going to have to do it because Canada it tends to have the number for the U.S. Uh, when we get to uh, the, the medal rounds. So uh, at the end of it, I still think Canada has the favorite, and they also have a phenom, dare I say, by the name of Connor Bedard, who's got a nasty nasty release as long as it can get it on net um his release is good but apparently accuracy maybe still needs to be tuned up a little bit yeah definitely and mason mctavish has looked really good too and really really good he's gonna be great for anaheim uh, uh really you kind of look at that line too uh the thomas borderlow line for the u.s has looked yeah. really good too so um yeah him slaggard and uh Carter Mazur uh, have looked really, really good. Um, and uh, another player that has really impressed me of, on the defensive side, uh, Wyatt Kaiser, has looked oh. really good. Uh, the, the Duluth Bulldog has just looked uh, exceptional to me, I think. So a lot of good things uh, looking forward to for this U.S. team. Uh, like you mentioned, Canada is a great group. I think the other team to kind of take a look at uh, as well, uh, Finland. I think, is, you know, yep. when you've taken a look at where they've been on the international stage, of course, winning the Olympics in that regard uh, just recently, but they just are a team that they, they seem to me uh, are kind of underrated when they have come into this tournament as of recent uh, and maybe have a chance to potentially, if they win tomorrow to actually upset Canada and win group a, which uh, has had some pretty good teams in it as well. Their goal differential, 19 goals for seven goals against. So not too shabby considering Canada's is 21 to four. So I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, hanging with the big dogs, I think Sweden is maybe the other team that you throw in there too. Uh, that has looked uh, decent as of late. Um, but nonetheless, it should be an exciting tournament. So excited to talk about the finale of that as we look forward to it next week. Uh, Nick, the only other thing that I think we want to talk about here, uh, and we'll try to roll through this as best as we can now that we kind of have 
clarity here uh, is the Michigan Wolverines uh, 97 days after not having a contract officially did fire Mel Pearson and mm-hmm. did name Brandon Naruto, the interim coach. For those who don't know who Brandon Naruto was, he was a first year assistant coach last season, played at Michigan from 2005 to 2009 and spent the previous three seasons before last year in player development with the Detroit Red Wings. So for those who, didn't know what was going on here. Uh, Michigan was being investigated by a Washington, D.C.-based law firm. Uh, and essentially, Michigan alum and NHL veteran Steve Shields, who used to work for the team, uh, essentially filed this. And after he was fired from his volunteer position for raising concerns after the 2021 season, um, among the allegations were that head coach Mel Pearson retaliated against a player who raised concerns about the team's culture, uh, and Pearson and director of hockey ops Rick Bancraft were also accused of discriminating against female staffers and creating a toxic work environment for staff. Um, so that's bad enough. Mm-hmm. And then it was also alleged that Pearson instructed players to lie on contact tracing forms when arriving at the tournament a couple of years ago at the NCAA tournament in Fargo, North Dakota. And of course, they had to withdraw because they had positive COVID cases. So, Nick, when you first, and before we get into these, when you first heard these allegations and the story unfolded, uh, did you kind of have some belief in it right away? Were you waiting for this story? What was your kind of initial reaction? You know, it's always tough, right? I think when you get these allegations, and and again, you know, it, you take them with a grain of salt, I think, initially. Um, and it's not that you're not wanting to believe them, but okay. Um, disgruntled employee, maybe got fired from the job, right? Is there, is there merit to this now? Right. Typically, and this is what I think needs to be said too, is that he raised the concerns. Do I say, was this the university itself that hired this law firm to conduct an independent investigation? I believe that was the case, uh, Noah, but let us see here. Let's think of it this way. You know, as, yeah, as you yeah. look for Filed it, yes. with the University Michigan's Equity Civil Rights and Title IX office by what was then an anonymous person who ended up being Steve Shields. Right. So a law firm, when when you have a law firm that's gonna do the investigation, you I mean, just ask the Chicago Blackhawks, they do their homework, uh, which means that you know they're gonna ask everybody they can, they're gonna do their thing, which is investigate every single possible angle. And they're going to come out with their results. And uh, unfortunately, um, the picture you painted earlier was found to be not just alleged, but found to be quite true. Yeah. Um, now, for the contract thing, I've mentioned this before, too. Uh, people ask, well, how can you work without a contract? Well, 99.9% of American workers work without a contract. You know, yeah. you just go to work and there it is. So um, at the end of it, they were waiting for this. That's the the that's the end of the story. He was still going to work. He's still getting a paycheck. Um, and granted, had this investigation turned out something different, I guarantee you there would have been a contract pre-written and ready to sign once that was announced, right? But unfortunately yeah. for the University of Michigan and Mel Pearson, that's not what happened. Yeah, um, and of course, Katie Strang of The Athletic doing a good job again, once again diving into one of these two. I thought it was interesting. Mel Pearson posted on Twitter like a day after he got fired. Oh, that, on the golf course? Yeah, yeah. He, was just, he was just golfing like nothing was wrong. Okay. Um, but uh, 68 pages was the conclusion of the report that came from the law firm Wilmer Hale. Um, but the results of an internal survey about the program's culture following that season, um, as the school started to kind of take a look at these complaints, uh, it's kind of chilling a little bit. Multiple players reported in this survey that they were instructed to lie on the COVID contact form and it scared them. 
Um, reporting suggests that the player who was left behind uh, during that trip towards Fargo had symptoms, but Michigan brought two roommates of that player. And when they started to show symptoms as well, uh, Michigan tried to send them home in the middle of the night, then lie on their forms about it. So um, mm-hmm. to try to not get terminated from that tournament, um, the player who allegedly retaliated, of course, was goaltender Strauss Mann, who had a heck of a career, I thought, mm-hmm. uh, with the Wolverines. A captain at the time left the team after his junior year to play professionally in Europe and I believe is now with the San Jose Sharks on a one-year contract. Um, the report stated, although he was kind of the one that was singled out and essentially not playing as much. Child. Yeah, yep. essentially, he wasn't the only one that brought the complaints up to the university. Um, and said that he kind of feared retaliation from Pearson. So um, that's kind of why he backed off from it a little bit. Um, and then Pearson accused man of trying to get him fired after the 2021 season, which I don't know if that's true or not, but looking back, it probably would have been a good thing. Um, well, I mean, you know, like, accused of getting fired is one thing, but maybe he just brought, he called him out on his BS, yeah. which indeed probably could have gotten him fired. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's with, up for interpretation, but that's just kind of how I see it anyway. Which is enough in and of itself. But then the report also right. concluded that these numerous female staff members were harassed by Rick Bancroft and Pearson probably knew about it, did nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, including essentially a secretary, a nutritionist and a communications director, all three people who, if you know anything about college hockey, are very close to the team very, uh, when they yeah. in day-to-day operations. Uh, 34 responses were on this survey. Uh, pretty much a third of respondents said they were not respected and treated fairly by Mel Pearson. About the same number said that they experienced offensive, intimidating, discriminatory, or harassing conduct. And among the many complaints were that uh, he was calling players uh, essentially racial or ethnic slurs, calling one player a Jew. Um, so things Jeez. like that. That's just not cool so not okay i no. guess they they asked pearson uh, essentially to also control rick bancroft or resign pearson did neither and then of course the wolverines went to the frozen four tournament this past year so all those allegations a lot of sources confirming the stories that we've heard we know what it means for the michigan program in terms of them trying to pick things up and be better we've had this discussion countless times with chicago with hockey canada whatever it is mm-hmm College hockey is a bit of a different realm. Uh, The Brad Aldrich stuff, I guess, with Miami is probably the closest that we've come to it in our reporting with things like this. But between that and then also their issues with not playing Western Michigan, you know, last year, what does this mean for college hockey, specific leagues or like the NCAA that, you know, do we need to take notes? Do we need to have an eye on these things for scheduling things for obviously conduct things. What, what do we take from this as college hockey, you know, personnel fans, what do we take from this? I don't know if you can necessarily look at it in that generalized scope, Noah. Right. And I don't think a lot of college hockey fans are, um, I think they're looking at this as a very isolated, very you know unique situation that was with Michigan, particularly with Mel Pearson and yeah. uh, Bancroft. Right. Which is a good thing because, you know, at the end of it, to your, to your other point, do we need to be taking notes? Yeah. I yeah. mean, at the end of it, it's- Because like you mentioned, you said this is an isolated incident, but what we've seen throughout hockey in recent months and years is that these things that are supposedly isolated aren't, right? Well, because the same sort of approach that had been discussed again in this report with Mel Pearson was left unchecked and then the ripple effect takes place, right? So for at least from what we know 
um, is that that has not been the case with uh, Mill Pearson and, and Bancroft, at least as of now, right? Not saying that I expect it to change or anything, but just simply we don't have information to suggest otherwise. Um, but that's the thing, right? You take notes because, again, whether it's the players themselves who are there to have a student-athlete experience, which is, you know, why they went there in the first place, right? Um, and it's not just about the hockey, right? You want to go to the football games. So it's, it's the big house. Come on, Michigan yeah. is a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a brand you know, kind of yeah. thing. Right. Um, and then for the, the people that work with the team, you mentioned the communication specialists, the trainers. I mean, you know, I can imagine these are, you know, also younger adults that are also trying to build experience themselves and that, you know, they have career goals too. And to have this, I mean, what does that do for their career aspirations? Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and even their personal, you know, daily lives. I mean, this is not okay. So, for the NCAA or for college hockey or whatever you want to call it, it's you're, you're reading this report and you're trying to pick up on, okay. So, you know, in, in the end of the day, is there anything you can do about it? You know, I, you can put all these programs in place. You, you can put anonymous tip lines in there, but at the end of it, we, as we see the consistency with these things is, you know, those who know are, are ignoring and whether it's for a personal favor, whether it's because of one thing or the other, because you got a good thing going um, again with Mel Pearson's COVID thing um, being in, trying to send players back in the night. Well, yeah. here's the funny part. You they're on the same bus, man. So yeah. whatever, right. You, it was never going to work. Um, the dishonesty there. I mean, and, and at the, and that's, I think the worst part about this is what as a leader, as a college hockey coach, right. Are you through your actions, coaching your players on to cheat to lie to deceive i mean what is this right so it i think at the end of the day you know you document it you make note of it again you try to because we all love to say we can prevent these things the, the truth of the matter is i don't know if that's possible but i do think you can have better ways to try to make those to light and then have it be better responded to i think that's where the, the steps really are yeah the only other kind of thing I want to talk about, and we've touched on it a little bit, but you know, the, the deal with Western Michigan and that scheduling uh, snafu or whatever, is that something that from a, from a di league divisional perspective or from the NCAA as a whole, maybe there needs to be a better process about clarifying or approving why you're canceling a hockey game type thing. Well, unfortunately, I don't know where you go from there because yeah. you, if you're asking, um, what do you call it? Um, if you're asking for, say, tests, I mean, is that a HIPAA violation? Probably not. Because um, I, I don't recall, because it wasn't it like personal, like what was the yeah, exact reason? It was right? supposed to be health and safety concerns. Health and safety, but, right. But the thing is they played the night before. So I'm wondering, you know, is there like an independent, you know, person who could say, hey, like, have you met this criteria? I don't. You know, because because what is what is health and safety concern? Theoretically, we took a day it off this podcast anything, right? for, for health and safety concern. Like, you know, like and but the thing is, you know, for college athletics, um, you know, that's a cost and expense and a management. Right. That I think, you know, again, for you, know, you talk about Michigan, that's probably a program that could absolve it. But how many can? Yeah. You know, right. And and again, isn't there supposed to be this thing called integrity, especially in division one collegiate athletics? One, I don't know one, how you, I don't know how you, I don't know how you really manage that. That's the thing. 
Yeah, one would think. Uh, my final question here for you, Nick. Uh, Brandon Naruto, of course, interim coach, has only spent a season uh, with the Wolverines last year, has uh, been around the program, obviously, during this whole time, uh, kind of a tumultuous ride for him. Uh, does he stay the head coach, or are the Wolverines, do you think, going to look somewhere else here? Well, the, again, we, we talked about timing, right? I think he stays the head coach for this year, and then again, he's going to get he's going to get a look. Right. And yeah. unless, you know, and I think the other part of this is too, is, you know, not only by the record, but do you see a large transfer portal entrance from yeah. Michigan? So I get, you give them the year, right? So I don't know if you have to look, I'm sure that they will uh, just to be on the safe side, but I mean, he's earned it. Um, you know, in terms of whatever's happened, he'll get his chance. And uh, who knows, maybe he was the one person that people could confide in him. So maybe he does have a lot of respect with the players um, that he has. And, you know, now it's going to be up to him to try to put um, a plan in place uh, to, to get the X's and O's down and make this to be a competitive hockey team. There's no question they have a ton of talent on that squad. So at the end of it, can you, you know, translate that into wins um, over losses? Uh, we'll have to wait and see, but I think he's earned at least a year try. I think he, I think he'll be there for sure. Or maybe he's Chris Mayotte's replacement, according to some people, apparently. Um, okay. <laughs> could sure. be. Yeah. Could be. Um, uh, anyway, uh, we're going to obviously be paying attention to Chris Mayotte and the Team USA World Junior Team as they head on to the medal round here, hopefully trying to get in for another gold medal for Team USA. Uh, kind of fun to be talking about hockey in August. It was interesting having a hockey game on on August 15th. So we'll keep an eye on that one and all things as we get ready for the number five team in the NCHC coming up next week. Uh, should be a normal show release as far as I know. Uh, but other than that, I have no further details at this time. For Noah Grant, or for Nick Max, excuse me, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.